the funny thing about Maldini was he, he's actually a right back, but he started well. He played most of his career at left back. The best stat about him is that he's one of the only ever players to play against both Maradona and Messi. Welcome to the 5W Football Podcast, where we discuss the who, the what, the where, the when and the why of our beautiful game. We're now on to episode three of this venture, and true to our form so far, we've upgraded yet again. So we started off in Joe's Kitchen, last week we went to the media booth, and now we've got ourselves our very own podcast studio. So who knows where we'll be next week. Very exciting to think about. This week, I've got three guests with me. Like last week, we had Barney Stevenson. Hello. Barney, as usual, we're looking good. Uh, what colour would you describe that jumper as? Um, ooh, it's sort of a deep red. I'm not entirely sure what red we'd I go was with. thinking burgundy. I was going to say burgundy, but I held off. I think it'd have to be a bit closer to purple if it was burgundy. Yeah. How are you doing anyway? Uh, I'm okay. I woke up a little bit late this morning, so I'm feeling a bit flustered. Um, but I'm okay. I'm I'm settling into the day. Good, good. Lewis Steele. I'm okay, mate. Are you? I'm well. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not really with ex- a burgundy jumper on myself. Though, no, or a snood. Um, little reference last week there for all you uh, avid listeners out there. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited by this new this new studio. Uh, it's a very similar room to last week. It's just got a little bit more of a professional feel about it. There's a few yeah. more features. Could maybe do a bit more art decorations on the wall because I like the mic live thing. It, well. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. And I'm feeling like I'm sat next to Max Rushton. Apart from your scouts, and didn't win an award last night. Well, we, thing, we, so. we dream. In a year's time, who knows where we'll be? Uh, at this rate, we'll probably be in a spaceship or something <laughs> uh, on, the, on, the, on this current rate we're on. We've also got uh, a debut from Alex Brotherton, who has come through the Youth Academy here at uh, the Sheffield Journalism School. Uh, Alex, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, in terms of clothing, we've got what well, we got a, a hoodie, it's solid a black got, gap hoodie. We've got some uh, good diversity here, haven't we? You know, a few jumpers, a few shirts, a few hoodies. And that's what we're about here at Five W Football. We look to cover all bases uh, and appeal to everyone. We'll just uh, introduce Alex a little bit for our listeners. So back in episode one, as you'll recall, we talked about our footballing claims to fame. So, Alex, to, to give you a grilling and put you on the spot to start with, what what's your footballing claim to fame? Uh, well, um, in the summer, I was on a plane to Budapest, and sat a few rows in front of me was the the great football philosopher of our time, uh, Joseph Barton, and his Fleetwood squad. Wow! Um, so, yeah, that is my claim to fame. Wow! Very good. Very. Good. I think that would have that that would have maybe won, maybe beat Barton. <laughs> probably probably would have won on a plane. Yeah, like you yeah. say, the, if you've got full squad, that's that beats that beats one, doesn't it? And Barton was better than Morrison. I, I love him. I, I like him. Uh, I don't know about that. I think Ravel Morrison is a bit of a footballing genius, really, and Joey Barton's a donkey. Yeah, I think technically, the ceiling of Morrison, we'd like to think, was higher than Barton. But Barton did play did play for England, didn't he? Morrison never got that. Yeah, and Barton did contribute to the best. 
Premier League moment of all time when he got go. sent off, leading to added minutes on the end where Sergio Cunaguero scored. Well, how long did that take? Four, four minutes and 30 this week until uh, we get a Manchester City reference from Lewis Steele, which is better than last week when we started with the Sammy and Asbury rant. Uh, this week, we've had a very exciting weekend. A um, few derbies knocking about. Exciting game between Tottenham and Arsenal. Bizarre end to the Merseyside derby with the Divock Origi goal. But last night, we had the Ballon d'Or, which for the first time since 2007... We had what I like to call a non-goat winning it. So no Ronaldo, no Messi. But Luka Modric, the Croatian wizard, took home the trophy. So we thought to do a service to Luka Modric and start off by talking about him. Um, So came from Croatia and became the world's best midfielder. We'll all probably remember him early on as being part of that Tottenham side. Lewis Steele, what do you remember of Luka Modric? In that Tottenham side, uh, I remember him being very youthful. Well, he wasn't actually that young at the time, but he he had like a fresh face. His hair was tremendous, and he played alongside some great players, such as Raphael van der Vaart, who is probably underrated in Premier League history. And if he was born now, maybe he would have been one of the best players in the world. But that's not Luka Modric. Um, Modric came from a very troubled background. I think he had to move in Croatia quite a lot of times and worked his way up to be the best midfielder in the world on paper. Um, And yeah, he probably does just deserve it, although I am annoyed that Messi finished fifth, but he probably does deserve it for what he's achieved this year. I was interested to see that Neymar finished 12th in it, which I'm not saying he shouldn't have, but for him and the year he's had after going there allegedly to try and win the Ballon d'Or um, worrying signs for him I think uh, past Ballon d'Or winners what Ballon d'Or winners do we remember from the past that we hold close to our hearts um, I remember Cannavaro pretty well and I think that Cannavaro is, is the, certainly the last defender to win it um, and probably the only defender in sort of recent memory as well, I think. And he won that on the back of the 2006 World, World Cup. Cup. And I think at the time he was probably a worthy winner. Won it in a sort of similar circumstance to Modric in the sense that maybe not actually the best footballer in the world, but had the best year back then. I think Modric has won it really for those reasons because I mean Messi and Ronaldo are clearly better players than Modric um, but I think all in all 2018's probably been Modric's year yeah that it would certainly appear so and history will look on him kindly because of uh, this year that he's had um, past winners um, well the one that sticks in my mind is Lev Yashin the only ever goalkeeper to ever win the um, the Ballon d'Or and as a goalkeeper of the five-a-side team which I mention every week that that sticks close to my heart he was obviously Russian um, but not many goalkeepers or defenders do win it and I think when they do it's obviously a bigger barometer of their success because strikers, midfielders win games whereas defenders don't often win it and I don't think that we'll, we'll see a centre-half or a goalkeeper win it in the next decade yeah. or so really because and it's it's an interesting one the idea of um, 
defenders winning these awards because particularly this month Virgil van Dijk's just won player of the month for November now I was doing a little bit of research in my habit of looking through Wikipedia statistics and the last time uh, a defender had won the player of the month award in the Premier League was back in 2013 which was when Jan Vertonghen won it now that's quite a long time and before that I think it was 2009 um, in which there were two seasons or there was one two months when Vidic won it and then Jagielka won it I think in the 2009-10 season and as well as maybe suggesting how football might have changed a little bit in terms of the balance between defence and attack I think it's an interesting point that you alluded to there about how we maybe value attacking players more for these kind of awards which you know. On the um, on the topic of defenders winning, I think well, it might be my Manchester City fan bias coming through. But if if Emirate Laporte keeps up his current form, I could see him winning a, winning the Player of the Month at some point this season because I think he has been outstanding. And I I would say that he's probably been better than Van Dijk so far this season. I think I think the effect of that Van Dijk has had because Liverpool's defense compared to last year has so visibly improved. I think it's... He's played well, but I think his performances have been slightly overstated, whereas I think Laporte has has really been the best. Alongside John Stones, it must be said most of the time. But I think we should have him on every week. Who is going to spread this city properly? I thought he was starting off there with... Uh, Laporte could win the ba- like Ballon d'Or next year. And I'm no, thinking, not the uh, Ballon d'Or, but well, you, you never know. Van Dijk, you, you never Van Dijk know. could win. He's Ballon played Ballon. every game this season for City, so he's got to win a... He's going to be in the player of the, the the team of the season. Future Ballon d'Or winner, perhaps. Well, no, I'm not, I don't know. I don't think a defender can win it. He's never played for France, though. No, mm. which is ludicrous because they, they, do have, they have got an absolute embarrassment of riches, and I think there's also there's a lot of politics, isn't there, about yeah, international there selection? He's never played for France. So. Never. Well, well, has he got could. a bit of a Basque thing going on? Yeah, he's Basque, isn't he? And um, yeah. I like I, a bit of the Basque yeah, thing. Yeah, because you like Basque. Country. So <laughs> I love Basque. And I did actually read somewhere that Basque Country want to be in the 2026 World Cup. They want to be a fully fledged international side, and they have beat the likes of Peru, I think, in the last year in a friendly. They have an yeah. e- they'd have an excellent team. I mean, yeah, they've got they have like Alonso, obviously retired, but uh, Arteta also retired. But Ilora Mendy is Basque. Ajuris. Griezmann's Basque. I always rated Munyain. Munyain, yeah. Yeah, they'd, they'd have a, their team would definitely be a lot better than yeah. a lot of teams who qualify for the Euros and the World Cup. Yeah, I just think this thing with defenders, it seems like we only. Like when Vertonghen got that monthly award, I think it was because he'd scored a few goals that month. It feels like even when we do honour defenders, we do it because of their attacking output and we don't value defensive performances for whatever reason which is just an interesting idea really last English player to win the Ballon d'Or Michael Owen 2001 Um, obviously there has been a few changes in the award over the years because we've got you have the FIFA World Player of the Year as well which has run alongside it but then between 2010 and 2016 they merged them so that confuses things a little bit further but when can we next see an English player winning it I mean, first of all, I'd say I think it's a little bit bizarre that Michael Owen managed to win the Ballon d'Or in 2001. I guess, is that maybe on the back of the 5-1 performance against Germany? He was was very good. He was 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 very very good. good. He was. (coughs) But when there's players like Zidane, 
Figo, Nedved, Henri, Ronaldo all playing at the top of their game. It does seem strange that Michael Owen managed to win the Ballon d'Or after the way that his career turned out. But yeah, I agree, he was good in Yeah, I think Ronaldo won it in 97 and 99, or at least one of them. I think Rivaldo won it also. But I think he might have been injured around 2001. Mm. Spent a like, long time injured, didn't he, around the turn of the millennium? He did, sadly, yeah, he did. Um, anyway, sorry, Andrew. <laughs> you were asking us who the next yeah. English player yeah. will be to win it. I'd say out of our current lot of the current players at the minute, I'd say Phil Foden's probably the most likely to. Okay. He's got the best chance. Mm, I could see Phil Foden, but it is slightly concerning as a City fan, the lack of... I mean, he's only 18, but and he's in, a, in and around the squad, but it's doesn't necessarily give good omens when Guardiola said before the Lyon game that he's good enough to play in the Champions League, and then he'd he came on for about two minutes at the end, but I think he might have to go out on loan at some point to to sort of kickstart his career. Well, he's already been in the team a bit, but um, get more of a foothold in the game. I think. I just think he looks so skinny. And yeah, young. he does. And without turning this into a Man City podcast, which <laughs> I'm very wary of, so we won't mention him ever again after this. I think Sterling's got a good chance of winning it in 2019 if he carries on in the form he is for City and City win the league. And then Eng- and say they if they won the Champions League, go up to the final, and then England do well in the Nations League. I think he's got to win it because he's been the best yeah, player in the league. Well, so it is a big that. factor, obviously, what the team you're playing in wins. You know, it, that is a big factor. Like I, if Harry Kane scores, you know, Harry Kane scored 32, 31 league goals last year. If Tottenham win the league and they went to the semi final of the Champions League and in, in, yeah. haven't done what England did, he's got to be in the running for it. So that's an idea as well for Harry Kane. I mean. Uh, it's interesting to think about how much English players value it because I think our perception is that they don't probably really value it particularly highly, maybe compared to South American players, which is something I've written about extensively um, over on the 5W Football website. But, yeah, if if Harry Kane was looking to win it, you know, maybe he'd be seeking that move away to Real Madrid, whoever. Yeah, the problem with Harry Kane, I don't think, I don't think Tottenham will ever reach that level where they're going to win the Champions League they maybe well a few years ago they were second I think to Chelsea was it in the in the Premier League yeah um, I, they just don't have the backing that say a Man City or in the past Chelsea have had or even Liverpool have got have, have started to spend more now so I think he would have to possibly move but I don't think that's going to moat I don't think Harry Kane is the kind of person that will move because he wants to win the Ballon d'Or Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I just don't see it. But I think um, I, I think I think Tottenham under Pochettino have actually probably peaked and won't win the league hmm. under Pochettino. Because I think that um, I think although the team still have a lot of developing to do, the players in the team, I think that this season will be the last season they have. Um, as a squad before one of you know before either Deli Ali or Christian Eriksen or maybe even Harry Kane decide to move and I do think that for Harry Kane if he is to be you know properly one of the sort of greatest players in the world you know top top 10 players that actually he probably does need to move as well really 
Yeah, great. Quickly, just to round off that bit on the Ballon d'Or, then, who do we think will win it next year? Lewis? Sterling. <laughs> Categorically, will not be Sterling. Um, I reckon um, Mbappe. Okay. I also agree. I think it'll be Mbappe. Interesting. I think, I think Messi will win it. Messi, oh. Yeah. I, I just think Barcelona will win the Champions League. There isn't a big... In- oh, the, there is the Nation League final. Is, I yeah. can't see them having a massive effect. Copa America, you mean? Is that happening next summer? Yeah, it is, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I'm going to go Messi. What went on there? <laughs> <laughs> I just got lost. I just got lost thinking about Messi playing in the Nations League. <laughs> <laughs> Topic two that we're going to go for today. At the weekend, as we alluded to at the top... Uh, Divock Origi won the Merseyside derby for Liverpool with a quite bizarre goal where Virgil van Dijk attempted a speculative volley from outside the box ends up miscuing it so badly that it begins to swirl back towards him uh, when it's up in the air and it ends up hitting the bar Pickford makes a little bit of a mess of it for me and it ends up bouncing off the bar and Origi's there to nod it in Um Bit of a nightmare for City fans, this one, really. You know, they must have been thinking, oh, four points clear, all this kind of thing, you know, the league's in the bag. But no, Divock's there, right place, right time, come of the hour, come of the man. Um, so brilliant stuff. Got me thinking about bizarre goals that we've seen because it was in a weekend where we also, also saw a very strange goal in the Birmingham game. Um where there was a, I think it was a ball four, which is a bit misplaced and just ended up going through the legs of the goalkeeper and in. So I thought we could have a nice little discussion about bizarre goals that we remember for over the years, which I'm sure will take us down some weird and wonderful tangents and corridors. Yeah, weird goals. Um, the one that springs to mind for me, it's it doesn't really involve any sort of erroneous play, but. Um, the double bicycle kick from Adama Diamande and uh, Abel Hernandez um, against Leicester, for Hull City, against Leicester. Leicester's first game back after winning the title. And, um, yeah, I think it was the first goal, actually, possibly even the first goal of that season. Um, the ball comes in from a corner, and both Hernandez and Diamande go to bicycle kick it, and both of them hit it at exactly the same time. And uh, it goes in, so and it is literally impossible to uh, award the goal to one or the other because they both hit it at exactly the same time. So uh, yeah, that's probably my weird goal. Uh, for me, uh, kind of like Barney's, it wasn't, it was, it didn't involve any particular erroneous play from a particular player, but it was nonetheless very funny. Uh, the Darren Bent beach ball goal for Sunderland against Liverpool about mm, nine or ten years ago, I think it was. Um, yeah, two that was nine. that was hilarious in my opinion. <laughs> Just the fact that uh, it was I think it was actually a Liverpool fan that uh It was that it threw was. Seth it was, Beach yeah. ball on, on into the penalty area, leaving Pepe Reina completely wrong footed and Sunderland went on to win. Um I think that kinda helped in them staying up that well, one of the seasons where they miraculously escaped. But uh that that, that is Did probably the most bizarre goal that I have ever seen. Should that have stood? Is there like a something in the rule book that says that it shouldn't have stood? Because I was thinking about this the other day. I think I think maybe yeah. there's an argument that the ref should have stopped play 
but before it, yeah. the shot went in, before like Darren Bent wasn't it? Mm. Before Darren Bent took yeah. the shot, but I mean, once it's happened, I don't really see that there's probably anything that the referee can do to disallow the goal. I think there is some sort of rule about foreign sort of interference, or like as in something from the stands, or it kind of there's a bit of a comparison with it at the weekend. Uh, in the Eredivisie in Holland, um, Feyenoord played uh, PSV, and uh, I think it it was two one to Feyenoord late on, and PSV were on the counter attack, and um, I forgot what the striker was called, but he he had a shot, and as he shot, a fan from behind the goal threw another match ball onto the pitch, and the referee the the shot was saved, but there was kind of they might have got the rebound in, but the referee blew up because there was two two balls, and and then obviously the PSV players were very angry about that <laughs> but uh, but I think the referee just has to do a drop ball because it's neither team's fault, it's not the referee's fault um, but yeah he stopped playing that instance so maybe maybe Darren Bent's goal shouldn't have stood Mine, well mine was actually also going <laughs> to be Darren Bent so I've had to improvise so it's going to actually be one from school football <laughs> <laughs> I saw you like furiously oh, looking yeah. through Google <laughs> um, So basically we're playing away at some school and um, it was like two. the ball came in the middle of the pitch like in the centre circle, two people went up for a header and the head, like one of them headed it so hard it went into his own goal from the halfway line I wasn't in goal just thought I'd get that out there <laughs> but, um, was the pitch? <laughs> no it was like the most massive header ever it's from Josh Farrington um, <laughs> who, who will not be listening at all but I thought I'd shout him out just in case he was um, anyway so that happened I, and it was just crazy but yeah maybe it would be Darren Bent and there's also one where a goalkeeper hit it for a goal kick and the wind took it back for an own goal but Lewis, can we hear a bit more about Josh Farrington? So Josh Farrington, no, let's not go into Josh Farrington. He's a good player, great left back in his day. Episode three, Josh Farrington. <laughs> Fat Fazwe is He's up there in the, the pantheon of greats with Ben Johnny Marawari and Jasper Grantshaw. What's yours, um, Drizzy? What's my, oh, put me on the spot now, haven't you? What's my favourite bizarre goal of all time? Wow. Um... I did have a suggestion of one, which comes from John Harris, which was Steve McManaman away at Blackburn at Ewood Park. But I personally do not remember the goal, so a little bit of a cop-out on my behalf on that one. Uh, one that I remember which should have stood was at uh, Old Trafford, which was when two guy had um, the shot from his own half, and it clearly went in. He caught Roy Carroll out. Oh, and God. there's that image of... I think, on a, it's so far, it must be about 50 centimetres in the net. And he's like scampers back, gets it, and somehow it wasn't given as a goal. And also, um, Xabi Alonso scored one for Liverpool against Newcastle. Um, similar thing, but just outright scored the goal at the back of the net. And Steve Harper as well, he scored. He, he scored did, yeah. Them, but the Luton one, the keeper was actually nowhere to be seen. Yeah, he just true. decided to have a shot. But I so always remember cool. that because there's always Gerard going absolutely yeah, yeah, mad yeah. at him, like, why aren't you passing? Why aren't you yeah. passing? And then he, and he scores it. Like, All right, thanks. Yeah. yeah, well, the, that Alonso one was great because he was just kind of inside his own half and he's looking around for where he can distribute the ball out to and there's there's nothing on. So he just takes a, a slightly big touch and goes, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll have a go and fires it. Because he get the trajectory of it so flat, uh, Steve Harper just panics and as he turns around to try and make his ground, he just slips and falls over and 
It was, it's a brilliant goal. I'm sure Charlie Adam probably has something to say about his own ability to do that. But he used to try it at least three times a game, so we won't get into talking about him. Um, I usually have a trivia question at this point. So, Barney Stevenson, you're looking very um, trivical, which might not be a word, but I've just made it up. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. I am feeling very trivical. Uh, so we've got another Who Am I this week. Barney Stevenson. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so this player played um, alongside... Actually, have you, see, have you seen this, Alex? Have you been, have you been watching me do this? I haven't, no. Have you looked at me? Hand on heart, I have not okay. seen the answer to this. No, Just because he's new doesn't mean he's cheating. Yeah, but <laughs> and we, we don't know if he can be trusted yet. I, I trust him. He's a city fan. Completely trusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for, uh, for previously mentioned reasons, I'm, the jury's out so far. <laughs> um, right, so, um, who am I? Uh, I played alongside Dimitar Berbatov. Dimitar? Dimitar? Um, Piszczek. <coughs> Lucas. Lucas, yeah. Uh, managed by Rafa Benitez. Played alongside Fernando Torres. I was the 10th highest capped player for my country. And I played at Euro 2012 and World Cup 2006. I wasn't listening, but Lewis is jotting it down. Berbatov, Piszczek, Benitez, Torres, 10th highest cup for his country, Euro 2012 and World Cup 2006. Yep. There you go. Should we come back to it? And yeah, I think, think we'll come yeah, back to it because otherwise we just have we'll be here for a while. Yeah. Big, yeah. big expanses of, of silence in between. <laughs> and this is where you won't hear from Lewis for the next twenty-five minutes now because he'll just be—he's in a slightly reclined in his chair, <laughs> one, one hand caressing his beard, thinking of this player. Um, bit of five WF news throughout the month of December, between the first and the twenty-fifth, we're going—we're doing an advent calendar. Now, whilst we're not claiming to have invented the concept of the advent calendar, we're not that revolutionary yet, what we are doing throughout each day leading up to the big 25th is naming the most iconic player to have worn the shirt number of that day. So for number one, we started with Oliver Kahn, then we had Cafu, followed by Maldini yesterday. So we will have the fourth going out today, uh, which will be a nice surprise for you later. But we'll just talk about a few of the players that we've done so far so we started off with Oliver Kahn who I just remember as being quite an intimidating beast of a goalkeeper which we don't see as much anymore really no we don't do we I was I was going to say I think Oliver Kahn as uh, number one got us off to a pretty controversial start really didn't it because it's kind of claiming that Oliver Kahn is the, the most iconic goalkeeper of all time, which I'm not saying he doesn't no. have a bit of a claim to, but it's it's a very difficult one to pin down, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think a lot of the idea was that the advent calendar was invented by the Germans, so we wanted to start it off with a German, basically, yeah. to honour that. Yeah. Now, we should offer a disclaimer here. We're not claiming the players that we name here are the best, so please don't shoot us for saying that Cafu was the best number two we're not saying he was the best player we're simply saying that these players wore that shirt and they were the most iconic in our opinion to have worn the shirt so if you do disagree of course get get in touch with us and suggest who you think it should have been instead but um, I had the pleasure of writing the Cafu piece and I have to say I do think there's a genuine case for him being the best fullback of all time yeah I agree with that 
I can't think of a better number two, to be honest. Mm. That, we, we, that's we, not his real name, is it? What's his real name? He's, it's not Cuffey. His, his full name is is very long. I've mean, um, not got it at the top of your head. I don't have it at the top of my head yeah, because I've also got the caca yeah. one at the top of my head. Um, I Which think is? it might end in Delator. De, de it's like no, Mac, it's Max on Delator or something like that. Cafu is Marcos Evangelista de Moraes. Right, so I was what thinking name? of the, the caca mm. one. Uh, the, the name Cafu comes from... There was a Brazilian winger uh, in, in the 70s called Cafu Ringer. He didn't play internationally, but he played domestically in Brazilian football. He was quite well known. And in Cafu's early days, he played on the right side of midfield that was where opportunities opened up for him at his first club which was Sao Paulo so that's how that's how that nickname originated and then later on he just kind of slotted into right back but his international career is unrivaled in my opinion he's the most capped Brazilian player of all time with 142 caps um, and one thing I didn't realise was he was part of the 1994 World Cup team which Brazil won he wasn't the starting right back at the start of the tournament but the player he was deputising for um, ended up getting injured at the start of the final which is against Italy so he came on about 20 minutes into the final so won it then then he was there in 98 2002 was the captain and 2006 was also the captain yeah three World Cup final appearances it's yeah. probably a stat that it, most players. Uh, yeah, who else? Pele can the only, claim to. No? He's the yeah. only one. Oh, is it? Did Pele? So because Pele played in '58 and '70, did he not play in '62? Mm. The the big the big finding was that Cafu is the only player to have played in three. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. great research. Yeah, yeah. When he when he came to the 2006 World Cup, he was 36 years old, yeah. um, and Roberto Carlos was actually still the left back on the other side. In 2006, Brazil had a ridiculous array of attacking talents. They had Ronaldinho, the kind of peak era Ronaldinho, peak era Kaká. They also had Ronaldo, who was still very useful. And peak they, era Adriano as well. They also had, um, yeah, exactly, who had an absolute rocket of a shot on him. So they had those four, so they should, you know, they should have that, swept. That Brazil them. team in yeah. 2006 was almost too good for its own good the amount of stars they had in the team it just lacked balance in the end but people after it criticised that you know keeping the likes of Cafu and Roberto Carlos and the team perhaps impeded the you know the progression of younger players so I mean Marcelo was a bit young then but it was around that time that he went to to Real at the age of about 19 so yeah that, that was Cafu and then yesterday we had Maldini or did you have something to add there on Cafu Lewis well not really my best memory of Cafu was you know, do you remember Top Trump's cards when you were little? Certainly. Cafu do. was one of the best because he had so many Brazil caps, so he'd just be like, Cafu, <laughs> winner. But yeah, yeah anyway, uh, Maldini, great player, um, played for 26 years, which is... A lot of years. A lot of years. That's that's old. Older than all of us in this room. It's older than all of us, um, yeah. And he played, uh, well, as I said at the top, he was a right back, played left back for most of his career, Moved to centre half for the latter stages and played till he was forty. I think he retired at forty-one. He won five Champions League titles, maybe six. He lifted five Champions League titles under various managers, Sachi, Capello, um, and various others. So a very good player and some very good. Could you just say really that other manager again for him? <laughs> Fabio Capello, the greatest England <laughs> manager of our generation. Could you do it like you did it before? Capello. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wonderful. Uh, the thing I like about Maldini was his eyes. They were the most kind of naturally piercing eyes I've seen in a footballer. Um, kind of, but also kind of endearing eyes. Yeah, yeah I, they're I, quite kind eyes, aren't they? Sorry, yeah, I, I, no, sorry. I would argue that uh, Jesus Navas has equally piercing <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, lovely eyes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. laughing because, from a city point of view. I'm yeah. laughing because Lewis and I had 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 this conversation, and this was exactly the player that um, Lewis um, came up with. So it's good to see that. But didn't you say that you uh, felt that Jesus was a bit too? Well, sort I think of I think Navas is a bit too slithering. If if you right, if yeah. you're Harry Potter, he looks like he's being possessed. Um, bit like the way Kalina, the famous Italian referee, mm-hmm. his, he looked a little bit possessed. It was kind of like a shocked, nice kind of eyes. Mm-hmm. Pure, maybe, but not endearing. <laughs> Whereas Maldini, I just thought, you know, if you need some help on the street, you know, you, you, you've lost your phone, you locked out your flat, you know, you need your keys. Paolo Maldini's on one side of the street, Navas is on the other. I'd go to Maldini. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what side of the street would Maldini be on? Would he be on the right initially and then switch? I don't know. And also, would <laughs> would Jesus Navas be able to cross the road to get to? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, number four is coming out today. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, will it be contentious? It probably it probably will be. Number two and three will probably be a bit safer with. You know, uh, other rivals. Be, there's a lot of good fours. There's Patrick Vieira. There's mm. Javier Zanetti. There's many yeah. to go for, and yeah, we we had to argue over it, and we did argue. We over did, it. yeah, yeah, we yeah. But we go for most iconic, so mm. these one club players could possibly yeah. crop up quite a lot, but we never know. Definitely, uh, we're going to move on now to talking about managers. So, Jurgen Klopp invaded the pitch after Origi's winner we've had celebrations like this in the past I remember Mourinho running down the line and doing a knee slide what do we think about managers getting involved in, in celebrations do we like to encourage you know the, that, that boisterous nature that some managers um, display or do we think they should you know just stay calm and not get involved well, I love it, to be honest, and uh, I think it's excellent to see. But at the same time, I think that the FA should probably take action against him because, you know, it is inappropriate. He's got his technical area. Are managers allowed to leave their technical area to celebrate? I was wondering this when I saw the Klopp thing. I don't think they're supposed to. No, and I mean, so, so yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I quite like to see it. I think it's, um, I don't think it's particularly... I don't think it's a particularly terrible thing, but at the same time, it is breaking the rules of the game, and therefore something should be done to discourage it. I guess. Yeah, technically, it is it is breaking the rules, but I find it very weird when people seem to get offended. Say a lot of people, Danny Mills, for example, on the I've forgotten what radio broadcast it was, but he was saying that you uh, say he was effectively saying that Klopp should be arrested. <laughs> um, which is just very, very bizarre, um, in my opinion. But I think uh, when managers celebrating, it's it's just passion, I think. And uh, a lot of passion does seem to, over the last few years, has been sucked out of the Premier League, what with restrictions on how players can celebrate, um, rules about what fans and they can't have, can't stand anymore, or stuff like that. I think it's just. It's just a bit unnecessary. Like, if you, if you're offended by someone celebrating a last-minute winner, then just 
you're just not very fun, are you? I guess <laughs> essentially. Yeah, I agree with that, Alex. I think I think there's been a lot um, sort of made of kind of, and I mean, and you know, to an extent, it's good, but there's a lot made of sort of respect in the game. But I mean, if if a if someone's celebrating too much against you after scoring a goal, well, it's a bit like just suck it up and and deal with that and and then you know score a goal against them and celebrate against them it, it's you know it's football it, you don't i don't think i think people are getting too worried about how respectful the opposition are being in uh, in their celebrations and yeah i think it's i think it's a bit ott fair enough lewis any thoughts to add on that well i also um don't have a problem with managers celebrating i also don't have a problem with players celebrating eric dyer got quite a lot of Mm. Um, what's the word for his celebration against Arsenal at the weekend? Aggravation. Aggravation probably is the best word, Andrew. Um, so I don't have the, I don't have a problem with it at all. If if I my team scored a last minute winner, I'd want my manager to be, maybe not quite Mourinho like knee sliding in front of fans, but like I want him to be on the pitch celebrating. Um, and I think that's just. I also I always remembered the Canio against Newcastle being a good one. Mm. Grass, yeah. grass stains on his jeans. Yeah, I think the issue is that we run here is do we want there is this issue of respect, but if we if we go on about managers doing this then it the game you do worry the game just becomes a bit more bland. Like you've got that moment. How often in football is that gonna happen? You know, such a bizarre last minute E clash and such a high or winner in a high profile derby. You wanna kinda capture the, the essence of that and that's pretty much what, what Klopp did. Um, the trivia question, which has been brewing in the pot that is this podcast for the last 20 minutes or so. Has anybody got any ideas? I personally haven't been thinking about it because I'm so devoted to the, to the sound we're filling your ears with. I have no idea. I, 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 I'm no. going to request a clue. Uh, yeah, well, I'll Go give ahead. you one. He's for now, and I might be able to come up with another as well. He played with uh, Podolski. Well, um, now he plays with, with him now. No, he didn't. He played. Oh, he was in the side uh, that Podolski played for during Podolski's breakthrough season. Right. First season in top flight professional football. So is that Cologne? I don't know. It might be. <coughs> so he's played for Cologne. He's probably played. What nationality was he? Sorry, we, we, we haven't come in nationality, oh, right, but I, can, I, can, I, I think could. that would help. Would it? Would it give it away? Uh, it could give it away. So um, I mean, I don't know. Check. I can, I can tell you. Um, I can give you. I can give you a player as well that could help you with that. Yeah, he played with Shevchenko. So it is a Ukrainian. It might be Ukrainian. Right. I think he must be because if he played at 2006 World Cup and then Euro 2012. You, I know Ukraine. I think. Uh, I think judging by. I've only got one name. Yeah, I, I think, think it's Andrew's, be- Andrew's <laughs> best mate, Andrei Voronin. It certainly is Andrei Voronin. Oh, yeah. Well done. And moving on. <laughs> <laughs> he was a good player, Andrew. That do you not think played for your your lot? I respectfully disagree with that. We're well, trying to get to the bottom of what's happened between yeah, I'm gonna... Andrew and. Andre and Andre is Ukrainian namesake Andre. I think we should but tell the audience what's going on here. There's a lot there's a of, bit of an elephant in the room. There's a lot of bad feelings. We mentioned Andre Voronin for a potential for the advent calendar, and Andrew, he's doing it now. He he immediately. I don't know what's going on. Whether he's got something on him, whether he's got some sort of 
secrets about Andrew, but and- Andrew is very against Andrew Arnon, and I'm not sure why. I thought just then Andrew was actually going for their <laughs> headphones and going about to, to leave. Yeah. But uh, I think we'd better move on anyway, because Andrew's n- clearly not willing to talk about the subject, so there we are. I'm just not a big fan. Is he one of your most hated ex-Liverpool players? I think hate's a very strong word. I wouldn't say I hate him. I dislike him. It's partly football manager influenced as well. But it's the fact he wore the number 10 shirt for us as well. And his kind of hair and general demeanour, I didn't enjoy at all. And he wasn't very really good, essentially. This yeah, is a key contributing factor. Yeah. Also. Like, and, Gog, and Gog was better. What's he doing now? I mean, Varadin was very good for retired, I think. a lot of other teams in his career. I think it was might have it? been he, uh, Liverpool, not Was not, he, was not he good elsewhere? Uh, I don't know. I've sort of made that up a little bit. But I presume he must have been quite good to get the move to Liverpool in the first place. Yeah, I mean, he, professional footballer, you'd hope he had some kind of merits, but I'm not, I'm not convinced. Um, it looks like now he's the manager of Ukraine. The reliable source of, uh, of Wikipedia says he's an observer. He's watching observer. he's watching a That sounds very like James Bond movie, doesn't it? Like some Ukrainian guy observing. Both of his grandfathers fought against the Nazis in World War Two. And fair, both fair, of them fair play to him. Comes from good stock. Well fair play to him, but you know. He did an interview about Zinchenko a few weeks ago where he said the only way Zinchenko play for Man City is on his PlayStation. And uh, now Benjamin Mendy's injured. Zinchenko's quite a big part of our team. Yeah, he played a nice little ball forward for either Sané or Sterling. Sané it was, yeah. Great play. Zinni. Anyway, yeah. All about that not mentioning City again. That went well, didn't it? Topic number four, which is the most topics I think we've ever had. Uh, Robin, Iron Robin is leaving Bayern Munich at the end of the season. I'm amazed by Iron Robin. He feels like he's been around for at Bayern Munich particularly for ages. Now I thought he must be about 37, but I think he's 30. Maybe he's 37. No, 33. I think he's deceptively oh. young. Mm. He looks older. The, the hair. Yeah. Maybe, but he's um, the thing was 34. Since he's gone to Bayern Munich, particularly seems to develop this cutting inside thing, which everybody likes to joke about and marvel about how people don't know he's going to cut inside and many a left back has been chastised for not knowing that he's obviously going to cut inside but look we're not professional footballers I don't think it's that easy he's obviously very good at doing it but it got me thinking I was thinking about other players that do similar things but before we go on to that first of all where where does Robin rank in our estimations he's one of those players that's probably you know, span most of our interest in footballing lives, our tender ages. Where do we think he ranks? Um, I think he's very much up there. Um, he's done it at Bayern over a course of years. He's also done it with Holland, although he's never won anything with Holland. He, he's took them quite away. He's done very well in big, you know, Champions League, and he's done very well in World Cup finals, although not quite conclusively. Uh, he's one of them players that I always mention with someone else. You know, either Xavi and Iniesta together. It's always Robin and Ribery for me. Um, one of the best um, double acts in the history of the modern game. Um, and I reckon he will be remembered as one of the best wingers of the 21st century. 
when he retires or where, wherever he goes after Bayern Munich. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, you go, Alex. Um, yeah, I think he he's definitely up there. Although, I think it's interesting to think about maybe. I think he had the potential to to possibly reach like maybe not quite Messi Ronaldo, but where people say now that Neymar and that maybe like that below, that yeah. just below, I don't think he ever quite got to that because obviously he's done it at Bayern Munich, but and he won a uh, he won seven league titles with Bayern Munich and. Obviously, they've had that period of dominance, but say with Real Madrid, he was he was decent at Real Madrid, but it was that period where they won one La Liga, but they hadn't they hadn't uh, made that step to to Champions League dominance. And at Chelsea, he was always impressive, but I think injuries ultimately just sort of pegged him back a little bit because I think he he had all the qualities to reach that that top top level, but I think it's. Undoubtable, yeah. He should. He's definitely up there as one of the best wingers of of the of the century. I reckon. Yeah, the thing I thought, the thing I think about Robin is he never. He, I don't think he ever played more than thirty league games in a season, particularly at Bayern Munich. I always have reservations about players that don't play that much. Basically, like when he played, yeah, he probably was very effective. But if he, because of his injuries or whatever, if he wasn't available for a lot of games, that just for me anyway massively reduces their usefulness as a a footballer yeah and um, a lot of people forget that he actually had a stint at Real Madrid in between Chelsea and Bayern I forgot until Hmm. recently and the thing that I do remember from that is that he was kept out of the team by a certain Royston Drenter who was tipped to be the next big thing but I think he's now back in the Holland second tier playing for someone yeah, he had a kind of semi all right spell at Everton. Yeah, he did. We did a few. He did a few interesting things. Um, yeah, he's a he's a name. He might end up on the. He might yeah. end up as the title of the podcast. I, re- I remember watching. Uh, I think it was the under twenty one European Championships in. I'm gonna say two thousand and seven. What a student of the game. Yeah, and I remember Holland playing England, and I think. I'm trying to think of the players in the England team. I've got a feeling Stephen Taylor might have been in the England team. Anyway, um, I remember seeing Royston Drenter for the first time and thinking, you know, there's a player with real potential. And not long after, he made the move from Feyenoord to Real Madrid. And yeah, he's had a quite bizarre career, really, Drenter, because even after things didn't work out at Madrid, like you say, he ended up at Everton. And then from there, it was like things just completely... Like, he sort of imploded in on himself. And has he maybe got a career as a rapper or something now? Have I made that up? You've made that up. Well, he might do. I'm not doubting your sources, but I think he play, he's still playing for Sparta Rotterdam, I think. Ah, uh, is he? Back um, in his hometown. Yeah, so he kept um, Robin out of the team. And I think he also was tipped to be the next Roberto Carlos because he was one of those left-back come yeah. left-mids. And right. obviously Marcelo took that spot. Yeah, but coming back to that signature move which Robin did, which was the cut inside, what signature moves... Let's name our favourite signature moves from particular players that we can remember, if you can think of one. For me, I think... Well, I'm not sure how... I guess it was a signature move, but with Zidane, he used to do that. Uh, say the, an aerial ball was coming to him, and in in one sort of touch, he'd he'd take it down and 
sort of slide it between his legs and then pass the guy or there's a few examples on YouTube yeah or absolutely the roulette one, yeah. Zidane used to do the roulette quite a lot yeah I can remember one where there's one for France where Bartes throws it out to him yeah, it's quite a long throw it's like the halfway line and he kind of it's almost like a, a Cruyff t- an aerial Cruyff mm. turn on the spin it's probably a name for it it's more technical than that but we'll just call it the ZZ the ZZ yeah yeah well, other Italian food chains are available <laughs> What's yours, Barney? Is it going to be some sort of whole play? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think, actually. I, w- I was going to maybe say the roulette that uh, Zidane did. I think it was always called the Marseille roulette on Pez. Right. Um, yeah, that, was, that seemed to be quite a sort of popular move around, like, the early noughties, which is weird that a sort of a particular move can actually be kind of mm. in vogue. But... Um, no, um, currently I think you I think you mentioned uh, the charisma outside of the boot, Miz. And yeah. I'm a big fan of it's, that, yeah. and I, I use that myself quite a lot as a as yeah, a as, as a right footed uh, left back. I, I got pretty pretty efficient with using the outside of my my boot. That's Barney discreetly <laughs> referencing the fact that last week in five aside he scored nine goals. The treble, treble. Which yeah. is something Celtic are trying to do this season. It was a, it was a very proud probably moment. Probably more entertaining and interesting than that will be if it happens. Well, thank you, Miss. No worries. Mine's probably the. Well, not probably. Mine's definitely the Cruyff turn. Um, and my reasoning is you know, like when you're a very young kid and you're in your very first football lessons, they're, they're teaching you all these skills like do the step over, the back heel. And then it's like do this header, and then it's like the Cruyff turn. Mm. It's been it's literally been named after. Yeah. Um, so a turn has been named after Johan Cruyff. Yeah. So what, I, what was your mate called from school? Josh Farnan. Josh Fa- Josh Farnan. Great player. <laughs> Wonder if he could do the Cruyff turn. Uh, he was a left back, very traditional left back. Probably Maybe good. schooled in the fort of Paolo Maldini. He's not the Marcelo type, but he was good. Very yeah. consistent. I, I remember. Was, I'm just thinking about like you know the Ronaldo chop. Yeah. That's just. I don't think he would have come up with that had the Cruyff turn not existed. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of a with the Ronaldo chop. I think that was very much sort of publicised through uh, EA Sports FIFA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone was doing that FIFA 12. Yeah, you had because you had the Berber spin, which mm. I think he did for the first time against Blackburn. What is the Berber yeah. spin? Well, you kind of very difficult to do without standing up, but the balls, the balls kind of still or not moving particularly fast, and you sort of approach the ball. And you have one like foot to the side of it, and you kind of swivel your whole body, so it's almost like a scoop. But Aidan McGeady has a better version, in my opinion. Oh, McGeady's been. Yeah. McGeady was quite a baller, wasn't he, really? Yeah, mm. a lot of flair. Not, um, not sure what's happened to him, though. Yeah, you can, he, well, he, he again had a little spell at Everton where he was he was quite good, but sort of faded away. But yeah, charisma for me is the one that I think of because that outside of the foot thing they call they call it the Trevella. He's done that so many times throughout his career. He did it in the Euros, not the Euros. He did it in the World Cup, yeah. um, and he's just he's been doing it throughout his career. And I remember reading something about him, and in terms of his career, he's been at Barcelona, not really done it. He was at Chelsea, didn't really do it. I think he was at Inter Milan, but he's been at various clubs, but he's never quite had that impact. And it's almost as if he wants his enduring impact on football to have been that single technique because it, it is devastatingly effective whenever I see someone do it and this will hopefully be what he wants his legacy to be that people will think of him um, Suarez is very good at it actually but it, it always seems to be charisma that will be the, mm. the one that we think of 
Yeah, I, I remember um, hearing, I think, that actually charisma's sort of, um, like, persistence in um, in using the Travella actually kind of annoys his coaches a little bit and because it is quite an unconventional way of doing things, isn't it? And so, arguably, that sort of commitment to that move has actually maybe stifled his career a little bit. Yeah, I think he tries to do it with crosses and things like that as well. It's not just a shot. It's like he will literally you probably do it in goal line clearance. Um, if I don't think you'd ever <laughs> see him back there. Uh, Luka Modric also very good with the outside of his foot, but not in the same kind of. I think his is more. It's just a means to an end. It's a functional way of kicking the ball. Whereas Karesma wants it to be like a almost a, a fashion statement, if you like. Um, coming towards the end of uh, of this episode of the podcast. As usual, we've asked our fans to send fans. in some, some <laughs> questions. <laughs> I like to think of listen, it listen. as a fan base. All right. um, yeah, fans, listeners, either way, you know, we're in, we're in your ear making noise and hopefully it's giving you some kind of enjoyment and stimulation as you go about the business of your day. Uh, Lewis, what questions have we got coming in? So Do we've got one from Jack Perry, um, not related to Fred, um, who isn't... He, he might be on the podcast next week or something. His question is, who would you back yourself against over 12 rounds out of Premier League football? So this comes from, obviously, the fury while the mm. fight. What Premier League footballers would you back yourselves against? In a Le- fight? Leon Britton. Really? Why is that? Small. Quite nice. <laughs> Heard him on the phone and he seems all right. I think we could reach a kind of gentleman's agreement that he could let me win, basically. Mm. I, Phil I, I don't, I don't Phil Foden's quite a I, I think Phil Foden would probably get the better of me quite easily. <laughs> yeah. mm. Although um, we shouldn't we shouldn't use height as a as a determination because I would not pick on uh, Torreira. That's the, the Arsenal. Uh, yeah. He chew your ear off. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I love not Torreira. Yeah. 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 Not like the way we're chewing. Who I, I don't know who I'd pick actually. I'm trying to think. Um, I can think of players I wouldn't pick, but I can't think of many that I would. I'm not not backing myself. I think I could take a few on, but I mean, there's some nice some people out there who've got like reputations as being very nice, like placid footballers. Theo Walcott's meant to be quite a calm, placid figure. And you have to think also they're in yeah. the gym every day of their career. I think realistically, yeah, yeah they'd all be us, but win. yeah. But <laughs> if if I was having to pick one, like I think Walcott's. I think I think actually generally looking at Arsenal players isn't a bad way of of thinking about it really. Rob Holding, I reckon I could have Rob Holding. <laughs> yeah, he seems quite nice, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Yossi Benayoun was very kind of flimsy, but he was industrious. So he probably got a better player with that floppy haircut. That yeah, seems yeah. To keep coming back to. It's always nice to see the hairline that kind of follows the movements of the player. Big fan of that. It's probably it's probably a, a, an article in there or a. A podcast topic. Um, we've got another question from Utility Ram, who's one of our uh, Twitter brigade. Will Mason Mount make the Nations League squad? Clearly, he's a Derby fan, judging by that handle. No, no, he won't. I don't think so either. No. Sorry, Derby fan. No, um. sorry, Utility Ram. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's a Utility man, but probably not at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm um, sorry to say, Utility, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, he won't make the squad. Um, no, I he, think this someone, may, maybe James Madison, man, but there's, yeah, there's well, too many people in there. I think, I think he could maybe make the the Euro squad if he has a season of Premiership football yeah, he's under got his be, belt. Yeah, that, I think that's our big thing. He's got to be playing in the Premier League, otherwise he's not going to... Yeah, maybe the Euros, yeah, if Frank Lampard stays yeah. around him. I think you just got to think where where's his place in that side. He's not getting in the starting eleven. There's so many players around. There's more chance of someone that's played previously coming. He's going to play someone like Delph head of. Mason yeah, Martin, I've watched Mason Mount. He is good, but there's a few things about him. He's still got pretty shoddy first touch, and right. um, they've got Harry Wilson at Derby, who's a lot better. But obviously, he's not English. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's doing he's doing it. very well indeed. Um, that brings us just about to the end of uh, this week's episode. What are we up to for the rest of the day, gents? Um, I'm going to the library to finish an essay on ethics, and then there's five aside tonight, which I'm doubtful for, but I'll try my best. Why are you doubtful, Lewis? Uh, I may have to go and chase a man um, to okay. get an interview. But Life, not, yeah. not in a weird way, but yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Happens, doesn't it? Uh, what about you, lads? Uh very similar to Lewis, really. Be- Going to be heading to the library, um, trying to get some work done on this ethics essay, and then I will definitely be playing football. That's kind of to commitment to that you yeah. know that we need, Lewis. Really. Well, I'm committed to five W football, so I'll be potentially writing an article about someone very weird um, that you yeah. may see on the site. Great, Alex. What are you up to? Uh, I also have an essay to write, and great. I may be appearing on a Forge radio broadcast. Wow! Wow! A yeah. very after broadcasting day for that is after never, never doing a radio or podcast. I've got two in one day. So Done very well. London, 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 London buses, all these kind of things. I do feel like we need an outro jingle, but we don't. We don't. Well, we we don't have one. Um, I don't know. We could kind of sing at the end or something. No, I'm not sure about singing. You know, no. we could always give it a go. Come well, on. You. What's your sing? Uh, a Christmas song, I think. All right, play the jingle. Auf Wiedersehen. See you next week.